It's Instant Sermon Weekend on Faith Is, and I'm so glad you've joined us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and you're listening to our weekly program called Faith Is, where we challenge each other, where we stretch each other in God's direction, and we develop faith. And we say that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. That absolute confidence is really a key part of that. We want to develop and grow in our confidence in God so that we trust Him more. There are always going to be things that come up that require us to trust Him, and we want to learn to trust Him. So welcome to the program. Welcome to our journey in growing our faith. I hope you find this time helpful. I'm grateful for my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. They make this time possible. They are a bunch of great people, people like you, people like you'll find in a lot of churches around the country. And we really do want to help each other have confidence in God. I'll never forget the time that I asked a couple who was facing a terminal illness. It's been a number of years ago, and I was surprised to hear the words come out of my mouth asking them if they really trust God. And to my delight, and really I wasn't sure where they were spiritually 100%. I wasn't worried about their spiritual condition, but I just wanted to help them have a little more confidence in God. And so I asked them, you know, kind of rhetorically, do you, do you trust God? And without flinching, and, and I was so impressed by this. I, I don't think I told them how impressed I was. I, I now wish I had and, and don't have the opportunity anymore. But I was so impressed by their quick answer that they had confidence in God in spite of the fact that one member of that couple was facing a terminal illness and in just a few weeks went to be with the Lord. So we want to have that kind of confidence. We want to have that kind of confidence for life. While we live it here, we want to have that kind of confidence when we come to the end of these days and we face death itself, because we want to trust God. He wants us to trust Him, and we want to help each other learn to trust Him more. In fact, there's a song, Oh, for Grace, to Trust Him More. And we, we pray that God will give us grace to trust Him more, because when we trust Him, It helps us do what he asks us to do. It helps us endure what he asks us to endure. It helps us to to take on the projects he asks us to take on. If we trust him, then we'll do what he asks us to do. There's no question about that. So faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And as I mentioned at the beginning, this is instant sermon weekend at our church. And and so we're going to take a look at, at trying to recreate that a bit here on the program. It won't be exactly like we do it on Sundays at church, and you'll understand that, but we do want to give give you a little taste of how we do things when it comes to Instant Sermon Sunday. But before we get to that, let's make sure that we kind of catch ourselves up on where we are in the story of Jesus. Your church might do this, our church does it, but every year we tell each other and recall together the story of Jesus. We start with Advent, which is the first Sunday is four Sundays before Christmas. You can calculate that on your church may celebrate that. And we we walk through Advent and remind ourselves of, of a couple of things, that we're anticipating the birth of Jesus, but 
Advent also reminds us to anticipate the return of Jesus because he went back to be with the Father. And so Advent reminds us of those things. We celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, and shepherds and wise men and all of the related things. And then we take time along the way to mark some of the highlight events in the life of Jesus, like one of the highlight events that comes after December 25th when we celebrate Christmas. One of the highlight events is the arrival of the what we call wise men or magi. And so that's a highlight. We celebrate the baptism of Jesus. We celebrate some, several of the events, and we tell ourselves the story of Jesus all the way up to and including Palm Sunday when Jesus enters Jerusalem. We trace Holy Week all the way to the Last Supper, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to Jesus' arrest, his death on the cross, the devastating Holy Saturday when it is though all hope had evaporated, and Jesus' followers weren't quite able to come to grips with what had just happened. And then, of course, we celebrate Easter Sunday and resurrection. And, and too often, as a kind of a pet peeve of mine, you'll forgive me, I hope, too often we think of resurrection as an event, a Sunday. But I like to say, and I say it pretty often, and I'm always glad when I hear some folks around our church say it too, that resurrection never ends. And that's the point resurrection never ends. Jesus rose from that grave, and his resurrection never ends. And because he lives, we will live too. And it's an important thing. We talked about this this year a little bit and, and tried to think about this a little differently. Jesus came and walked this earth as a person. He died the death of a person. But when he rose and walked out of that grave, he walked out somehow different than he had been before. And so we like to think of, of Jesus. He walked into death and walked through death and came out on the other side different. And it reminds us of our hope of one day having that same resurrection experience at the end of days when God brings all of the dead in Christ back to life and we all gather with him. And we were, are reminded that somehow in ways that we wrestle to come to grips with, we understand some, but in many ways we wrestle to come to grips with what it means to be different on the other side of death. And so then we follow Jesus as he spent some time after the resurrection, meeting with different people, the road to Emmaus story we often talk about. We talk about how he met Peter and the other disciples on the beach in Galilee, and they had breakfast together on the beach. And we talk about some other things related to resurrection. And then we come to that pivotal moment in the life of the church when Jesus ascended back to what we call heaven, ascended to the Father. And this Sunday is also Ascension Sunday, and we remind ourselves that Jesus went back and left the church to continue his work. And there are a lot of ramifications of this idea of ascension. Uh, Jesus actually said that it's better for him to go away, because if he goes away, then he would send the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit issue comes up in a little while when we talk about Pentecost. But today we talk about ascension. And, and the, the very amazing thing that Jesus went back to heaven 
and left the church to continue what he had started. And I often like to say, I probably don't say it often enough because we need to reinforce this. We have, have forgotten this or never really grasped it. I don't know which, but we, the church, the people of God, we are the visible presence of Jesus in the world today. And we shouldn't forget that. That's a huge responsibility. It's a huge opportunity, but it's real. We are the visible presence of Jesus in the world today. Sometimes people want to know, where is Jesus? He's right here in the person of the church. He's right among us, also because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that we have that vital role of continuing what Jesus did. Now, every week, uh, we need to kind of wrap this up so we can get to some instant sermon, but every week I write a letter and send it to interested people, mostly by email. A few, we, we mail the, uh, the U.S. postage way. But I wrote a letter this week about the ascension because I wanted to remind everybody that Jesus went to heaven and left the church, us, behind to continue his ministry. And, and we wait for his return while we work to accomplish the mission he's given us and to further his purposes on earth. During this time, he asks us to trust him. That's why we talk about confidence in God so much, because we need to trust him. He doesn't give us the answers to all of our questions. And those of us who ask a lot of questions sometimes find ourselves a little frustrated. Why won't he give us the answer? Uh, you'll have to ask him someday. Just trust him. I'm not trying to beg the question on that. I'm just simply saying that the Bible doesn't answer every question we ask. But it does answer the questions we need to have answers for. It does give us what we need to know for life and living. And, and I was thinking about that because here we are in this period after Jesus goes back to heaven and, and now we're, we're staying and continuing his ministry and, and we're, we're waiting for his return. And in fact, that's one of the key things in anticipating his return is being ready for his return. And, and I liked what one person said about this whole dynamic. Andrew Foster Connors wrote, quote, what Jesus promises on the other side of the staying and waiting is not clarity, but power, end of quote. And I thought that was very insightful. Here we are staying and waiting, working to accomplish the Lord's purposes for our lives and for our world. And what Jesus promises us during this time is not clarity on everything that happens, but power, power. That's interesting. We hear a lot about power in some church circles. And, and Connors goes on to, to talk about how this idea of Holy Spirit power it has a distinct uh, quality to it. And there are two significant reasons that he describes. I thought he was on to something. He said, first, Holy Spirit power is given to the church, not taken by the church. I thought that was very interesting and very important the power that God gives to his people today is a gift, not something we grab and take. And that's important in light of Ascension and in light of Pentecost to come. Second thing he says is that this power is given for a very specific purpose. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this from the message. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. 
That's the end of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 from the message. Now, I thought that's very interesting that, that this is for a very specific purpose that the power is given. I hadn't thought about it in quite this way until I read what Mr. Connors had suggested. And, and I got to thinking about that. God has given us power to be witnesses. Now, what do witnesses do? Well, we could talk about that in a lot of ways, but let's talk about it this way. If you go to court, if you're called to court to be a witness, you're expected to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? We all remember seeing that over and over on courtroom dramas on television shows or movies. It's all about the truth. They want to get to the truth. And and I know people argue about whether the justice system is about the truth, but but bear with me. You know, we got to think through this through. A witness is expected to tell the truth, no matter what the aim of the system is. And if you don't tell the truth in that setting, there's a penalty to be paid. So think about this. God has given Holy Spirit power to the church, to his people, and it's given, not taken. You can't be grasping for this. It's, it's a gift from God. He gives it to us so that we can be witnesses. And if a witness is anything, it's a person that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You see, God wants us to tell people the truth. In a world full of deception, and there's all kinds of stuff out there, God sends us, his people, the church, to bear witness to the truth. And we need to remember that. I've said for a while now, when I first began to notice, and I probably didn't notice it as soon as I should, or speak up about it as soon as I should, but as soon as I began to notice all of this deception that was going on, I started reminding people that the gift the church has to our world is the truth. And that's an important gift. God gives us a gift of the Holy Spirit so that we'll have power to be witnesses, to tell the truth, and he expects us to do that. Now, whoever imagined, and I certainly didn't, that it would take courage to stand up for and to tell the truth. I, I thought the truth was what people wanted to know. I thought the truth was valued by everybody. It turns out it's not. It seems inconceivable to us that, that everybody wouldn't want to know the truth, but they don't. And so God knew all the way back then, God knew that we would need power to tell the truth. So he promised us power so we could be the truth tellers in a world that all too often seems consumed by lies. It's really sad, all of the lies that go on, and it's really uh, both unfortunate and, and dangerous that we have so many lies. But he called us to tell the truth. So, you know, you're the people of God. You are the ones who believe in God. And, and we together, we need to tell the truth. We need to give God's world God's gift. And that's the truth. And remember, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And our world is tied in all kinds of knots, and it needs freedom, needs the truth. So as you think about Ascension Sunday, and as you remember that we're now celebrating in the story of Jesus, that time when he left, left us waiting, left us continuing his mission. And as we unfold the story, we'll get to Pentecost. And we'll talk some more about the idea of, of Holy Spirit power. But remember, it's an important thing to understand that while we are here waiting for his return, he gives us power to tell the truth.
So let's get to instant, instant sermon, because one of the questions that, that I've been given and was given to me recently was, was about this idea of the truth. Now, the way we do instant sermon in church is a little different than the way we can do it here, but I remind people leading up to the, to the instant sermon Sunday, and instant sermon Sunday is defined as any month that has five Sundays, the fifth Sunday of that month is instant sermon Sunday. So you can do the math. We do it four times a year and May has five Sundays, so we're going to do it this weekend. So they, they bring their questions, uh, have them write them on a three-by-five card, because we're just old school that way, and it's easy. I ask people to write their question down. We collect all the cards during the offering time. The ushers pull the cards out of the offering and bring them to me. Nobody, nobody screens the questions and throws some of them away. Um, I've, anybody can ask any question, and uh, it's not about stumping the pastor because that's too easy. It's just about how do we have a conversation about things that are on our minds. And this is one way that, that we can have a conversation about what the Bible says about the things that are important to us that are going on right now. So I'll get these cards and I'll, I just shuffle them and I take them in whatever order they pop up. I don't pre-screen them. Now for this program, obviously I had to choose some, but these are, these are real questions that people have given me. And I thought, well, let's talk about them here. And so I'll try to do it in much the same way I would do it on Instant Sermon Sunday and I'll read the question and then I'll respond to it. So the first one I came up with kind of fits in with what we have already been talking about, but it's this, with so many divisive issues in our world, how do we share truth and refute the lies of the great deceiver, Satan? Well, the how is really a challenging part of that. And, and we have to know how to do that with grace and kindness. But, but if we're going to talk about the how, we have to rewind a little bit and say, how do we know the what of truth? You know, there's a lot of diversity of information out there and a lot of diversity of opinions, and we don't want to be telling people our opinion as the truth, and we want to be telling them what is verifiably true. And so when we talk about the truth, we're talking about the things that God tells us that we know to be so that are not open for debate or argument, that God has simply said, this is the way it is. And so we recognize that, that every time you wrestle with that which is true, you also wrestle with what this person in the question very wisely included was that Satan is a deceiver, the father of lies. Well, so we have to, we have to understand all of that. And, and it's also important maybe that we should remind ourselves at this point when it comes to lies that the Bible is quite clear that liars don't get into heaven. So God has very strong feelings about this business of telling the truth and, and what will happen to people who lie. And, so, and because, I mean, that's chilling to me because we live in a time when so many people don't tell us the truth and, and, and we need to discern the truth and we need to tell the truth. So, so first thing we have to do is we need to make sure that we understand the truth as God has given it to us. And we find that in the pages of the Bible. So I would encourage you when you're talking to people who struggle with things, make sure that, that you talk about things that are verifiably true from the Bible, not opinions about the Bible, but things that we know to be absolutely true. And an example of that, of course, is resurrection. We know objectively that resurrection happened. There's way too much evidence for it to deny it. I know it's to some people, they will flat out say up front, what's well, impossible for that to happen. 
when nothing's impossible with God, we need to understand that. But that's an example of something that we, we want to tell the truth about, but we want to also make sure that what we're talking about is absolutely true. So don't be distracted when you think about this by, by unusual opinions or things that, that change over time. Really focus on that which is true and remind people to focus on that which is true. The Bible gives us truthful information. It tells us the true story of Jesus. It tells us what God expects us to do. I saw, I saw a sign today. I thought it was really interesting. I haven't seen one of these for a long time, but a good-hearted lady, and I'm pretty sure she's good-hearted, although I don't know her because of what was on her sign. She stood on a street corner at an intersection, busy intersection, and held a sign admonishing people to repent and turn to God. Well, it takes a good-hearted person to be admonishing people to turn to God, and she was telling them the truth, that they need to repent. They need to change their lives and follow Jesus. Well, that's true. We know that's true. That's the way that we end up where we want to end up one day, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So as you think about countering the lies, that make sure you know the truth, then how do you do that? Well, that's a, that's a minefield to navigate sometimes. And I don't want to discourage you from that, because I, I think if God puts you in those situations, then he's with you to help you speak. But make sure you speak in a way that is kind. Make sure you speak in a way that is straight ahead. You don't need to fudge the truth. Be honest about it. Help people think along with you to come to the conclusion you have, if you're able to do that. But don't be afraid to say, this is what the Bible says. So for example, if you're talking about resurrection, then tell the story of resurrection and explain why you believe it and explain why it's important, because it's the truth that people need to come to grips with. Because when we come to grips with the reality that Jesus is alive, it changes everything. Because if he's alive, he has done something no one else has ever done. And if he's with the Father, and he is, then that's going to have huge implications one day when he returns, and he will. So do it with kindness and grace and humility and a desire to help people understand. Please don't do it in a heavy-handed fashion or a judgmental fashion or any of those kinds of things. In other words, don't do it with attitude. Lead with love. And make sure that when you talk to people, they know that your desire is to help them. They may have a hard time wrestling with some things that the Bible says are true. I, I get that. But you need to lead with love. The second thing I would encourage you to do is be careful how much truth you share with your friend at once. You know, some people are capable of taking it all in. And so you can talk to them in great detail and, and maybe in great depth. Other people you need to talk to a little bit at a time and help them have bite-sized pieces. Of, um, of truth. So they can begin to wrestle with it. Because if it's something they've, they've really seen in entirely wrong, wrong ways, then they're going to need some coaching to help them move in the right direction. So give them a bite-sized piece. And as you're sharing with them, think about this. Think about how can I leave a pebble in their shoe? Now, what I mean by that is how can I leave them with something to think about that will cause them to think, and that will help them wrestle with this, because there's something called pride that makes it really difficult for people to just 
turn around and, and change their mind on things. You, you understand that. It's true for all of us. We wrestle with that. So give them, give them something that they can wrestle with and that they can come to grips with in a way that helps them uh, begin to agree with God. I'm, I'm not so interested in people agreeing with me. I, I'm happy if they do. Uh, I like it when they do. You do too. But that's not what's really important. What's important is do they agree with God? And so give them a little pebble in their shoe to help them come to agree with God, because that, you will help them far more when they, when they come to grips with, with even more difficult aspects of that, which is true, if they learn how to wrestle with that a little bit at a time along the way, and they and God have a chance to, to hash that out. Now, remember, when you do this, you're not alone because God is there helping you and the Holy Spirit is there speaking to them and trying to bear witness to the truth to them the same way you are. And it should always remind ourselves that we are the second witness because the only way someone is convinced of that which is true and what the Bible says is because God has helped them become convinced. And he is always the first witness by virtue of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit talks to them, and then we come along to reinforce that and help them by our encouragement agree with God, who's already gone ahead and talked to them. It's really it's really important, and I want to encourage you to take courage, not, not be discouraged about trying, um, and not be discouraged if you try and you feel like you failed. Uh, no, not at all. I, I, I'm not at all convinced that every conversation you have will cause someone to suddenly agree with you or suddenly agree with God, particularly if they've resisted God for a long time. They may need some more help. And that's related to another question that somebody asked me just this week, and even a couple of weeks ago too. They, they wrestle with the, the story of the Bible. And so sometimes I think that because of the way the Bible is put together, and sometimes because of the way we we tell the stories and look at the Bible. It's hard for people. It's, it was a little bit hard for me. I had a little bit of an advantage because I had a great lady when I was a kid taught us a lot of Bible stories. And so it's helped me put things together better. But in order to get a scope of the, of the Bible story, we need to help people understand the whole story of the Bible. And there's a book that put together the verses from the Bible, actually uses the text of the scripture of the Bible to tell the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, or like some of my friends used to say, from Genesis to maps, referring to the way our Bibles are put together. See, our Bibles are individual, are collections of individual books. And this book called The Story, and you can find it in a lot of places, I think it's still available, both in print, copy, and electronically. But it tells the story of God and his working in the lives of people all the way through, tells the stories from the Old Testament, tells the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and Moses and the people enslaved in Egypt. Before that, it tells the story of Joseph and how God sent him ahead so he could help get the people out of slavery, tells about their, their departure from Egypt and all that was involved in that, their travels and travails and getting from Egypt to the promised land talks about and tells the story of them entering that land and how they wanted a king and God didn't think it was a good idea, but he finally agreed with them. Talks about how they had their ups and downs and following him. Tells the story of, of Saul and David and Solomon. Tells the story of the prophets. Story of Daniel in the lion's den is, is, is going to be part of that story. But it unfolds the story all the way through, 
all the way through all of those uh, wonderful stories from the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament and the coming of Jesus and the stories of Jesus and his life, and then of how the church progressed from there as the Bible explains it. So in order to understand the truth, we have to understand what God is saying to us. And if your friends are wrestling with this idea of the truth, suggest they read, or you can get a copy of the, the story for them to read, because it will give them that scope of what God is talking about and of what God wants us to understand from the Bible, because it is the text of the Bible, but it's arranged as a story so people can see how that unfolds over time, and they don't have to skip around from book to book in their Bibles. They can read it all in one place as a consistent story of God working with his people. So that's another way to help people get to the truth, because maybe they need some time processing that. If, if they don't want to read a book like that, there are some what I call comic book Bibles. Uh, today we call them graphic novels. Some of them were developed for kids. There's one out there that was developed for adults, but that's another way people can see the story and begin to, to process the truth of God. So I hope some of those ideas are, are helpful as we, as we remind ourselves about ascension and of our responsibility and that God has given us Holy Spirit power for a reason so we can tell the truth. And we shouldn't back down from the truth. We shouldn't run from the truth. We shouldn't be embarrassed by the truth. The truth stands for itself. And if it's true, we can tell it without fear, without worry, because we know the truth stands up to scrutiny. Well, we're going to take a little break here in just a minute, and I'm going to be back. We're going to do some more of these questions. We didn't get very far on the questions, but I hope you found it helpful so far. You stick with us, take a breath. We'll come back and tackle some more things. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. You're listening to Faith Is. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years. Brush, floss, repeat. We're told to use fluoride, which doesn't really address the acid-creating bacteria. That is where the dentist-recommended Spry Dental Defense System shines. Spry products contain xylitol, a natural sugar, which helps get rid of those nasty, smelly, acid-creating bacteria in our mouth. The best way to care for your teeth and gums is by using Spry. The Spry Dental Defense System has a wide variety of products, toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and chewing gums that are designed to work together to keep your teeth clean and mouth healthy and smelling sweet all day long. To get your oral care back on track in an easy, effective, and very tasty way, Switch to Spry today. Ask your dentist about Xylitol and the Spry products. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural product retailers. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds. One second less than a goldfish. 
If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is, the program where we challenge each other to develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Because faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And as you may know, I'm the pastor of a real church in Cape Coral, Florida, Diplomat Wesleyan Church. And this program is part of our ministry here, and we're glad to present it to you and thankful for the opportunity. So grateful that you are willing to give us some time so where we can share together every week. And I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you find these thoughts that we share together useful because we want to really, really help each other have confidence in God. And before we get back to our instant sermon questions, I, I'm not trying to avoid those questions, but there's several things happening this weekend from Ascension Sunday, and we talked about that earlier in the program, to, to Memorial Day weekend. And that's probably what people think about more than anything else is Memorial Day weekend. It's a long weekend. It's the official start of summer. It's all of those things. And I, I hate to tell you, some of you who are farther north than I am, that that we in Florida, we think summer has been around for a while because when I checked earlier today, and I'm sure it's warmer now, it was up to 85. So we've had summer for a while. But be that as it may, we come to Memorial Day. And I think we need to, especially we who are the followers of Jesus, need to give thanks for the gift that God has given us of liberty. And we need to remember on this day, the people that have gone before us that have helped preserve that liberty. Many of them gave their lives in defense of our nation and of liberty, and we need to give thanks for their sacrifice. Many people in the military gave all. As sometimes you hear said, some gave something, but some gave everything. And we give thanks for that. We need to remember that because there, there's no replacing someone's life when they give it for a great purpose and to preserve the gift of liberty was a great purpose. And we, we need to pause and give thanks for that. Now, I don't know how you're going to remember that, but please do. I remember from my childhood that one of the things my grandmother did every year, and in those days they called Memorial Day Decoration Day. And she would go and she would visit the graves of people that from our family, from her family, and she would put flowers in and remember and you know, that's not specifically remembering military people, but let me remind you that we all have a role in preserving liberty and of remembering the gift of the people that have gone before us. That's not to minimize the sacrifice of the, of the military men and women who gave their lives in defense of our country. Not for a minute would I minimize that. But that's what she did. That was her way of reminding people that it mattered. 
And I don't think she was alone. I think there was a lot of that went on in those days for whatever reasons. We're not, we're not thinking along those lines these days. I don't think people, people make that kind of effort like they once did. But I also remember that one of the things that we did to celebrate liberty and to remember the people who had gone before and given their lives for that was we had picnics. And, you know, they, they made that sacrifice so we could do that. And I remember our family and another family, we'd go on picnics. And the thing that I remember most about that, and I, I know we, as kids, we were doing other things. I don't remember what we were doing, but I remember that the two dads were always listening to the Indianapolis 500 race. And I, I'm not sure why I remember that. It didn't make that much difference to me. I remember asking about what's going on and they would sometimes tell me about it. Um, I don't know that I remember anybody who won that race, but they always listened and, and seemed to enjoy that. And, and we'll have that race this weekend. So we have some of these traditions that remind us, but in all of this, as we celebrate, as we enjoy the benefits of liberty, we should always remember to give thanks for the people that made that liberty possible. Now, as far as I know, none, no one from my family that, that I was aware of or, or was, was alive when I was growing up ever gave their life in defense of our country. But I know a number of my relatives served in the military and I found this out after my grandfather died. I knew he had been in the Navy and I knew he had enlisted but I didn't know this. And this is another reason we need to give thanks for all of those people that serve in that way. My grandfather signed up for the Navy. And the reason he signed up was he said his children were grown. Now, I don't remember how old my aunt and my father were at that time, but this was his perspective. His children were grown and he wanted to go so that some other father of younger children wouldn't have to go. And, you know, I wish I had known that when he was alive, it, it just didn't occur to me to ask some of those questions. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have volunteered it because he wouldn't have wanted to be bragging about himself. But it reminds me of how much we have to be thankful for, because there are so many dozens of men and women who made the choice to serve our nation and preserve our liberty. And we need to remember and give thanks, especially for the ones who gave the ultimate sacrifice. If you ever have a chance to go to Arlington National Cemetery, I had a chance to visit that once, uh, not quite a year ago. And you see all of the, all of the crosses, all of the headstones, you go and you watch the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknowns. And you're reminded of all the things that went on. And we happened to be there with um, the permission of the of the, the people who guarded that, not everybody could go at that time. There were reasons they were limiting attendance, but we knew a retired general and he took us, several of us on this tour and we visited several important places. And one of those places was the memorial that remembers the people who died on the Iran rescue mission. And this general had been a commander on that mission. And he told us a story of what happened he told us a story of how God actually, in a most remarkable way, delivered a bunch of his soldiers from death. Several men died there, but how God intervened to help a whole bunch of the people he was responsible for survive that. And as we stood there, 
just across the street from the amphitheater at the Tomb of the Unknowns, and he told us that story. It reminds all of us that this is real, what goes on, and this is important for us to remember the sacrifices that were made. We are a land of the free and the home of the brave because the brave gave their lives to protect us, and we give thanks. Well, let's get back to some questions because I've got a few more here. Maybe I can give really short answers and finish these up. Uh, there's no pressing need to. We'll do this again sometime maybe, but let's, let's go through here. Let me just read this. This one is headlined feelings. So let me just read what the, what the person wrote when they handed this in. When we have feelings of loneliness, rejection, being misunderstood, depression, emptiness, how do we handle these? As Christians, we aren't supposed to be dictated by our feelings. So how do we work our way through them? And, and I thought this was really good, and you'll enjoy this too. They ended by saying, please don't say, just pray. Well, I, I kind of find that humorous, and, and I appreciate that. I mean, I'm not offended by them saying, please don't pray. I think that, that sometimes we say to people, pray, and that becomes a, a catch-all for every problem, and we avoid some more concrete, helpful things. And you know, we've all had struggles with our feelings from time to time. You've had your ups and downs, and so have I. It's a, it's a common experience to, to the human condition. And so we need to realize that we are human, and we need to give ourselves a little, how should I say, a little space on those kind of things and not beat ourselves up for it. Nobody wants to feel lonely. Nobody wants to be rejected or be misunderstood as the as the person wrote here, nobody wants to be depressed or, or wrestle with emptiness, but let's, let's talk about that a little bit. First thing I would like to mention with that is our physical well-being is directly connected to our emotional well-being. And so if you struggle with some of these feelings that the question writer described, then one of the things I would encourage you to do is make sure you're well physically. I remember, um, a physician said to me years ago, he was retired at the time, he had been a, um, an orthopedic surgeon. And he said, whenever someone that he was caring for had an extended illness, he knew he would have two problems, the illness or the injury, whatever it was that got them down, and the fact that they would begin to feel depressed. Now, he wasn't necessarily talking about clinical depression, and we didn't get into all of that. But he recognized that when people physically struggle in one way or another, they're, they're susceptible to those kinds of feelings. So as we age, as we wrestle with diseases of one kind or another, we're going to wrestle with that accompanying problem of being discouraged. And I don't really like the idea that people want to immediately jump to, oh, they're depressed. I've heard that too many times. Well, people can be discouraged. They can be beaten down by the things of life and not necessarily have to be labeled as depressed. And you don't have to label yourself as depressed. But if you're physically not well, then you need to consider that that may be a big part of that. Now, what do I mean by physically not well? Well, injury or illness for sure. But, you know, we also need to be real honest with ourselves. And here's some of you are going to start reaching for the dial and turn this off. Please don't. But we need to be honest enough with ourselves to recognize that that if we indulge in the wrong kinds of diet, then we may not be as healthy as we need to be. If we indulge in the wrong kinds of diet, we may even actually 
way more than we should. Or conversely, if we don't eat well enough, we might not weigh as much as we need to, to be healthy. And so we need to wrestle with all the physical and the potential physical consequences of that. So I can't fix that for you, but you can take action on that. And that's the next part of this. It seems to me that whenever we're feeling betrayed or misunderstood or rejected or discouraged, it doesn't help to just sit down and feel that way. I'm not telling you you have to be untruthful with yourself. You can be fully aware of your feelings, but I am aware of this, that our feelings respond best to action. So get up and do something. Whatever God has gifted you to do, get involved in doing that and, and go forward from there. That'll help a lot because our feelings respond to action and they are terrible masters, but wonderful servants. And if you say to them, I may feel this way, but I'm still going to get up and go help my friend or visit my neighbor or whatever it might be that God puts in your heart to do, then action goes a long ways toward resolving some of that. Maybe you need to visit somebody in the hospital. Uh, maybe somebody's in a nursing home and maybe you could make it your mission to visit them once a week. Lots of people are lonely and you might be one of them, but guess what? You can help each other's loneliness if you take the initiative to do that. So I want to encourage you to, to take some initiative and to do that. And the other thing I need to mention too, related to that is a lot of times people get down on themselves because of unresolved anger, unresolved grudges at somebody else. And I just want you to know that Jesus came to set you free of that. And he admonishes you to forgive those people that have done those things. And if you keep rehearsing that nonsense that that sorry rascal did to you, you will continue to feel worse. But if you will say to God himself, thank you for taking every sin on the cross and destroying it by the death of Jesus, I'm going to lay that down and let him worry about it. And trust me, he will. He will one day make all the wrong things right. But for today, he wants to make the wrong things in your life right. And the wrong thing in your life is hanging on to that grudge. So you might say, but I can't just give it up. Yeah, you can. Well, but my feelings keep going. Yeah, they might. But you just keep reminding yourself, no, by the grace of God, by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit that came and is a gift to me as a follower of Jesus, I lay that down and I'm not picking it up. I'm going to keep laying it down every time I remember of it. Remember the deception of Satan we talked about earlier? He's going to come along and tell you, oh, you're still a sorry rascal. You didn't let that go. And you're going to look him in the eye and say, yes, I did. Get away from me. And you're going to become an overcomer because you're going to take action to help someone else. And you're going to forgive all those sorry rascals in your life. There's not one of us that hasn't had something happen that we could be mad about and hold a grudge about. So just give it up. Okay. Okay. Good. Thanks. Well, here's another one completely off a different subject. Why are there so many different religions and denominations since we are all considered children of God? Well, that's a very interesting question. And the, the flat out answer is, I don't know. I have some ideas, but I don't know. I think a lot of it is because sincere people, faithful to God, look at the Bible and they just come to different conclusions for one reason or another, and sometimes we can explain those reasons, but that goes a little bit beyond our discussion today. 
They just come to different conclusions. And so they go a little different way, but here's the good news. And here's what we need to focus on. Yeah. I, I know some people that I will never agree with them on, on everything. I, I just look at the Bible differently than they do. I, I grew up with different ideas and I embraced those and, and that's just who I am. They had a totally different experience, but here's the thing among the followers of Jesus, we have one thing in common. And I, and I don't say go to the lowest common denominator. I say, go to the highest common denominator and the highest common denominator for the people of God is the person of Jesus. And if those people, while we may disagree on finer points of theology or whatever, if they embrace Jesus as the son of God, if they embrace Jesus as the one who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and came back to life, if they follow him, then I want to say, give me your hand. Let's walk together. I may have some things wrong that they may help me get right. And they may have some things wrong and I may help them get right. But fundamentally, foundationally, over all of that, we are going to follow the one who came and the one who sets us free. We're going to follow the one who walked this earth and understands life as we all live it, and yet shows us the way that we can walk above all of the nonsense of life and we can live forever one day. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We all have Psalm 23 in common. We're all going to live there one day. And I don't think it's going to matter at that point, all the things we disagree on. I think what's going to matter is, can you believe what Jesus did to save the world? Okay, next question. Why in your estimation are there, <laughs> I'm glad they said in your estimation, because I can be way wrong on this one, but still be right because it's my estimation. Okay. Why in your estimation are so many pastors not sharing the need for God in our current geopolitical situation? Well, there's a big assumption in that question, and, and I'm not going to challenge the questioner's assumption. They may be very right when they say so many pastors are not sharing the need for God. I think there are some worrisome things that go on in churches, and, and I'm not here to be a pastor's critic. I know how hard a job it is, and while sometimes we make it look easy, it is not. It is challenging in many ways, but God helps us, and we need to to take courage and we need to do what God called us to do. And yes, pastors need to talk about the need for God. Okay. So let's plunge into that a little bit. And, and, uh, well, let's talk about something nobody wants to talk about. As you're listening to this uh, earlier this week, there was a shooting in a school, devastating children killed shot. I, I don't, I don't know how to put into words. The, the devastation and the heartbreak that brings. It's just awful. Our hearts go out to those people. And, and, and may, may God himself comfort them in ways that we wouldn't know how. We don't hardly know how to pray sometimes in those situations. But we remember them to God and say to him, please meet the need that they have in a way that we can't imagine. In a way that we can't imagine, can you bring some good out of this terrible tragedy? But I bring that up both to remind us to have compassion for those people, and I'm sure you do, a lot of tragedy in those kind of situations. Imagine the relatives of the, of the young man that was a shooter, how they feel, devastated. But I bring that up to remind us of this, that 
we as pastors and we as followers of Jesus need to make sure that we are, are unashamed about saying to people, you need to pay attention to what God says. I know it's not necessarily popular to say, but I'm going to say it, that if we want to stop this kind of nonsense in our country or any place in the world, what we have to do is we have to admonish moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles to set the example and be in church every week, not occasionally, not just give lip service to, oh yeah, God's important. God is not important until he's important enough for you to take action in your life, consistent action to follow him. So all of us who are adults, we need to make a commitment before God that no matter what, we are going to be in church every week, and we're going to bring our children, and we're going to teach them the stories of the Bible, and we're going to teach them what God has done and is doing to redeem the world from this kind of evil. You see, we have the, the sad picture of evil right before our eyes. There's no question this is evil, and people wonder about evil, and they make jokes about evil. Evil is not pretty. It's not something to joke about. It is real. It is palpable. It's destructive. And we need to gather ourselves as the people of God in churches all across this country. And we need to be there every week, supporting each other, supporting that church, admonishing the pastor to tell us the truth, whether we like it or not, whether we like him or her or not for telling us the truth. I'm not sure everybody likes everything I say. They may not like me. Before God, I have a responsibility to tell them the truth. And we need to get ourselves before God every week, every week without fail. So many people think, well, if I go twice a month, I'm a regular church attender. Baloney. If you showed up at work half the time, do you think you'd be a regular employee? No, we, we understand that. And God understands too. So if we want to fix these problems, we've got to get back to God. We've got to turn back to that which is right and true and holy. We can't be deceiving ourselves to think that, that we can kind of sort of say God is a good guy and think everything's going to be all right. We fall into deception when we don't put ourselves where God can see that we are his faithful people. So let's end with this question. It's related to that one. How can a person find faith? You know, when I say this about being a church, some people might say, well, I just don't believe. Well, do you want to? Do you want to find faith? This person says, how can a person, person find faith? Well, there's a couple of things about that. I mean, first of all, I'll say this, God will find you and you need to listen for him and watch for him. God's desire is for every single person to find him. Absolutely. hundred percent. God's desire is for every single person to find him. So that being said, what can we do to nurture that faith, to cultivate that faith. Well, here's the way I describe it. We can put ourselves in the stream of grace. You see, it's grace that reaches us and that draws us to God. It's grace that helps us come to grips with that which is true and right and holy. It's grace that draws us to God and his people. So we need to put ourselves in the stream of grace. What does that mean? Well, a couple of things. It means you need to stop doing the stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing. I don't have to tell you what those things are, but there's a still small voice that often says to us, I need to stop doing this. And you know what it is? Even now, as I'm talking to you, 
If God has been talking to you, you know what it is. So we need to stop that stuff. And then we need to start putting ourselves intentionally in the stream of grace. You can start by reading the Bible every day. Well, everybody always says that. Yes, that's putting yourself in the stream of grace. Read the story. Read one of those graphic novel Bibles. Read the Bible every day. Develop the habit of talking to God about what you read then. Go to church. See, when you go to church, you're putting yourself in the stream of grace because God is there. God is at that church. If it's a faithful church that follows Jesus, God is there. Put yourself where God is and participate in the life of that church. Find out if they have a Bible study that you can be involved in. That puts you in the stream of grace. Help out at the church. Well, you might say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Well, you can be honest about that and ask them, would they mind if you cut the grass? I don't think they'll mind if you help in one way or another. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, they're not going to ask you to teach the Bible. Duh, we get that. But there's something you can do. Put yourself in the stream of grace and let God begin to lead you in the way you should go. See, God is eager to find you, and he knows right where you are. He's waiting for you to respond to him. And one of the things that we do is we put ourselves in the stream of grace, and we show God we are serious about him, and we are responding to him in the best way we know how. So put yourself in the stream of grace and do it as soon as possible. Don't wait. Even today, you can read something from the Bible. And if you don't have a printed Bible, get one from the internet. There's plenty of places you can find something to read. Well, that's Instant Sermon Weekend here on Faith Is. I'm really glad you joined us. I hope you've benefited, as I said at the beginning, from this. We do this to hopefully help you. And we want to exactly develop faith, absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we'll do it some more next week.